The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. This ends out the season on church drama, and the next season that will begin will begin with sex and relationships. <laughs> so uh, just fair warning, fair warning, not next week because we, we're taking a, a break in between season one and season two, so we're not jumping right into it. We'll give you some warnings because there are going to be chapters of Corinthians where your middle schoolers will blush, and you might want to log your children into the back, your younger children, and I'll be definitely logging mine into the back. Uh, but today, today we're going to look at how to church shop. I know that's a weird topic to talk about at a church, because either maybe you're shopping, or you've already shopped, whatever it is, this is where we're at, because it's Paul talking about leadership. It's Paul talking about what the Corinthian church was doing in response to his leadership. So we're going to pray, we're going to jump into the text, and like we do every week, we're going to go uh, verse by verse, section by section, and press into the Lord. So, so let's jump in with prayer first. Father, it is an odd thing to be a pastor to preaching about church shopping and to preach about leadership because it's, it seems like it could potentially be self-serving. So, Lord, humble me and let your word be the word that gets spoken. And, Lord, I pray that we would all grow and be encouraged today, even those in here who shopping for a church is the farthest thing from their mind, or, or maybe they're, they're going to get stationed to a new military base, or they've just moved to the area, or they're moving soon. Lord, help us to learn principles that will still shape us, principles of humility, principles of standing for truth and not adding to your truth or subtracting from your truth. Help us, Father, to understand what it means to be discipled and mentored by someone else. And above all, Lord, help us to make our lives more and more all about Jesus in whose name we pray. All God's kids said, amen. So this is Paul. Now, Paul, you have to realize he's setting up the difficult conversation that he's going to have when we jump into season two. Because the very next chapter, just so you have in your mind why Paul is talking this way, the very next chapter is Paul saying to the Corinthian church, I've heard that among you, there is someone that's sleeping with their stepmother. That is some church issue right there. As far as church issues go, we've talked about this before. We've joked about it. We all have experienced church issues. If you've been around church for any length of time, I would say one or two services. You will experience something. So this is why Paul talks so much about what the church is, who the church ought to be, how we should be humble and not arrogant, and what, why unity matters. Because when you come to difficult issues, standing as a healthy family of God is crucial. And this is Paul's last tirade about what church is and leadership within the church because he's about to drop the hammer on the Corinthian church. So keep that in mind as we're reading this morning. This is how one should regard us, apostles, Paul's saying, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So here's the first thing. If you're church shopping, I need you to pay attention to the very first thing. You need to look for leaders who fear God and don't cave and crave, cave to and crave the opinions and attention of man. You have to look for leaders who have a fear of God and aren't afraid of what the other people will think. And this is why it's important. 
The Bible warns us in another place that in the last days, teachers will have this itch to be liked. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be lovers of money, and they'll want people to like them. And if I'm being honest, man, doesn't it feel good to be liked? Does anyone wake up in the morning and think, today I just want to be hated? I've not met that many people. There's a few that I've met in my time. But for the most part, pastors, I think especially, we have this disease. There's a disease that we want people to like us. And we say things or don't say things so that people will think more highly of us. It's one of the scariest things that can happen in a ministry. Because if God says something and humans disagree and we fear or want their opinion so much that we disobey God, all of a sudden there's a whole group of people that is going down the wrong road. And Paul says this, look, you can try to judge me, but I don't even judge myself. I won't even let another court judge me. I'm doing what God has called me to do, nothing more, nothing less, and it's him who will judge me. Because at the end of my life and at the end of your life, you will stand before God. And you have, throughout your life, options and choices that, that will be put before you. And God is orchestrating these things from a cosmic level. But in the morning you wake up and you can say, I'm going to put on this shirt or that shirt. And God probably already knew which one you're going to put on. I'm going to guess. But then you're going to run into another person and you can choose to be loving or not loving. You can choose to engage or to not engage. You can choose to do what God has called us to do or not. I love, I love, I love. I could not tell you how much I love the fostering things going on. And I know I'm talking about it a lot these past few services, but the chapel, we want to be a simple church, not event-driven, not project-driven, but biblically-driven. Foster people, care for the, the widows and the poor. We want to engage with these people. And I, I was thinking about Rhea and Eric. And they said, we get to love like Jesus loved. They posted on Facebook. You guys posted. If you don't know Rhea, because uh, it's your first time, she's usually sing, singing up here on the keyboard. And today was, uh, was more subdued. If you're like, well, that was a nice, peaceful worship. Come back next week. We'll knock that peace right out of you. In Jesus' name. But Rhea and Eric fostering a two- and three-year-old. And you just celebrated your 25-year anniversary. And, and remind us how old you are again, Eric, not Rhea. 54. 54 years old. Here's what's not on my agenda as a, as a 38-year-old. Huh. When I turn 54, I want to get two-year-olds in my house. I'm at the age where I'm trying to get two-year-olds out of my house already. Now, why would someone do that? Why would someone in their right mind <laughs> think, you know what we should do in this phase of life? I'm only one year from getting a discounted IHOP, Denny's, and movie theaters. Let us bring young people into our house who have an endless IV of Red Bull and opinions. You, you do it because you want to love God and honor God and what God has called us to do as his people. Regardless of age or phase of life, you say, whatever God tells me to do, I'm going to do that because one day Eric knows, Re knows, I know that we are going to stand before God and God's going to say, I laid this out. What did you do? So if you're church shopping, look for leaders who fear God and honor God and don't cave to the opinions of men. Verse 5, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Because the Corinthians were judging Paul. They were saying, we like Apollos better than you, or we like this person better than Apollos. So he said, don't pronounce judgment before the time. Don't be going around saying, this pastor's a good one, that pastor's a bad one. 
Don't do that before the Lord comes because the Lord will bring to light. Now, this is terrifying. If you've never been in a youth group, you might not have had this illustration. The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Can you imagine? Now, the the youth group illustration that that I used for years when I was a youth pastor was, one day you're going to stand before God and all of the hidden things, the darkest things, the worst things, there's going to be a TV behind you that will just show all the motives for what you did. All of the darkness, God says, I'm gonna, I want to see it all. I'm going to show it all. Now, I don't know if it's like an IMAX where we all get to see, because I really want to be in on some of your all's videos, see the motives. But I need you to understand that God is not just looking down and saying, oh, did you, did you just do the right thing? He, God says, I'm going to show everyone, and I'm going to reveal the purposes. What was the motive? Motives matter. Motives matter. And God, at the end of time, will look at your life and not just examine Did you go right or left, right or left? He's going to look at your motives because you can do the right thing with a very wrong motive all the time. Let me give you an example. Um, This fostering thing, and I'm going to use it because it's it's in my world right now. You can foster for the absolute wrong reasons in Christianity. Fostering, we'd say it's pretty good, like help a kid who doesn't have a family. But there's this weird thing, and especially at the chapel, I feel it creeping up, so I just want to throw out the warning. I feel this bubbling up. If you foster, that does not make you a better follower of Jesus than people who don't foster. I need you to hear this. Not everyone is called to foster, but in Christianity, if you do a few things, you can look like a super Christian, but God will judge the motives. I could do all of the right things that from the outside, people would just know, like, that guy must be following Jesus. Like, if I decided to homeschool my kids instead of public school them. If I changed their name from Jackson to Hezekiah, from Silas to Malachi, and whatever else. So I had all the homeschool things. And then I fostered all the kids. And then I got one of those big school buses that you'll see in our parking lot because some of the people here are just greedy breeders. Just get one of those. And if we all have, in my family, we don't use digital Bibles. We only use paper Bibles. And when we worship, we raise our hands in worship. We don't do this one. We do this one. Now, you could do all those things, and you could look the part, and you could say the right things on a Sunday morning. God bless you. Brother, the Lord's favor is upon you. Come pray with me. You could do all the right things, but you could do it from a heart that is actually not for God. You could do it for a heart that's craving the approval of others, and they look identical from the outside, but on the inside, they are two different tracks of life. And God wants to and will reveal those things, not because he is upset at us, not because he's trying to out us, but because he loves us. Whenever a sin in your life now, in this this life, this timeline, whenever a sin comes to light, the first default is to feel shame and be be buried in guilt and want to try to hide it. We do the same thing Adam did in the garden. It's the, the the sin management that I've taught many times. First you cover, then you hide, then you blame. And we all do that generally when someone sins. When you sin, you try to cover it up, hide it. Or if you get found out, you're gonna, I'm going to run behind a bush. Or if you get pulled out of the bush, you blame. We all do it. If you look at your kids, watch your kids next time they sin. For those of you who have little kids, that's a kid's default move. They run away, jump under their cover, throw the blanket over their head, and they say, I didn't do it. They literally do exactly what Adam and Eve did. And you're thinking, huh, I've seen this before. And we do it just in different ways as adults. But God will reveal these things. And if God reveals your sin in this life, that's his mercy because he wants to bring you out of it. 
He doesn't, he doesn't take your hidden thing in this life and throw it into the public air so that everyone can point and laugh at you. And if you're new to the chapel, we don't point and laugh when people sin. We don't judge and snicker in secret. We don't say, wow, I can't believe they do that or I can't believe they go to that church. The type of people that we are at the chapel is when someone's sin is outed, the rest of us say, it's a good thing we're here because we need Jesus. Because one day God will disclose. One day the TV will be behind us. And one day it will play the motives of our heart. So, so let us think deeply about how we're pressing into God and how we're being open with others because it is a difficult thing to be open. But once you take one step of being open with, with one or two people that you trust, it becomes easier to do it again and again and again. If you don't know how to start that, um, it's easy. Get into microchurch. If you don't want to get into microchurch or don't have time, I've got a whole curriculum. Uh, it's called a DNA guide. And it will help you walk with two or three other people, and I'll give it to you for free. And it helps you walk with them and bring out the hidden things of your life so that you can be made new over and over and over again in Christ. And this is what Paul says about that. He says, each one, when that TV is up, will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn by us and not go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Now, it's, you have to understand something that's going on here. Paul is being compared to Apollos. And, and we live in the most connected world that has ever existed, right? Like, watch this. Church people, I want you to start telling me names of pastors that you know. Just any pastor that you know who's a pastor at a church right now. John Piper. He's retired. What? Swindoll? Swindoll. Who? Francis Chan. Who else? Chip Ingram, who else? Ravi Zacharias, who else? Matt Chandler, who else? Stephen Furtick, who else? McCar John MacArthur, who else? Charles Stanley. Like, look at this. We're in a room of just this many people first service, and we could probably keep on going. And in our minds, here's the easiest thing to do. Well, this pastor, he is the best. Like, I'll say two names of people that some of you churchianity people might know. If you're not churchianity, just check out for a second. But if you're a churchianity person, I'll say these two names. Ready? And I want to see the uh, feelings that are evoked in your heart. Francis Chan. Okay? Don't, don't say anything. Joel Osteen. See? You guys just judged. I don't know how you judged. I don't know how. Let's do it again. Are you ready? Pastor Ryan Tyrona. Uh-huh. Yeah, all right, all right. Lock it up. No, no, okay. Uh, that was for my, uh, you know who that's for. Say the whoa. Pastor Charlie Ivins. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously? Okay, you know what? That's good. Charlie, in that passage it says, do not be puffed up. We're going to go on. But I, I need you to do this. Look, look for leaders who point you to the God of the Bible, not more, not less. When you're examining leaders in church shopping, when you're saying, what kind of church do I need to go to? Look for leaders who aren't going to pile other things on the Bible and look for leaders who aren't going to detract or subtract from the Bible. You don't want leaders who will say, yeah, 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 the Bible says that you're saved like this, but also you have to do this. The Bible says that if you come to God, then it's not just salvation, it's not just Jesus, it's not just a relationship with God, but you also get other things like health and wealth and a 401k benefit. And that's not just health and wealth, prosperity gospel. You, you also need to listen for preachers who will avoid topics. It's the easiest thing to do. One of the, the hardest things for me to do 
for me is to preach topics that I am currently in the midst of sinning in. It drives me crazy. And if you haven't figured out, pride, arrogance, they're in here. My flesh that God is tearing from me. And thankfully, God only wrote like two-thirds of the Bible in radical condemnation of my sins. So every week, I'm at my desk, and I'm praying. And every week, not every week, a lot of weeks, depending on when Amy comes upstairs to my office, she'll look at me, and I'll just be there, just a mess. And she'll be like, okay, I'm going. And initially, when we were first when we were first married and getting into the ministry again, and she's like, what's going on? And I was like, I'm such a sinner. Jesus loves me so much. I'm not always this happy. It's only on Sunday after God has taken me through the garbage disposal of sin destruction and reduced me down to a pile of broken glass. And he says, now I can use you and make you what I want to be. Look for leaders who aren't going to hide from topics. It's, it's been shocking to me in the last 10 years, the number of pastors who have fallen to money, to sexual misconduct, to, to greed, to manipulation, to, to bullying people in a very negative and illegal sort of way. It's been shocking to me. It breaks my heart, breaks my heart to see pastors who, who take drastic routes to end their own lives because they can't stand under the pressure of leading people toward God. This is why it's important that your pastors, when you're church shopping out there, they're people who are rooted in God's word, who will not subtract from it or add to it. They'll tell you what it is, what it's about, and how to live in light of God's truths. And they're not going to put on these bonus things. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do this. It starts with the cross of Christ, and then it ripples outward from that. So look for leaders who point you to the God of the Bible, not more, not less. And here's... Any, any sarcastic people in here? Who's sarcastic in this room? Whose mother tongue is sarcasm? Okay. Paul is about to go full sanctified sarcasm. So I'm going to read a good chunk here. Verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast? As if you did not receive it. Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are held in honor. You are, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, refuse of all things. This is Paul, like, this is a pastor pity party I think he's having right here. He's saying, look, you guys have it all. You don't even need, do you need us? You guys are kings. You don't need us. We're lowly, homeless, buffeted by all this persecution around us. I need you to think about, to think about. Now, I got this note last week on my car. It said, Thanks for all you do for us. Signed, nobody. Um, I mean, it, it was there. It was signed by nobody. And I took the note, and it's weird how the little things 
and I put it in my sun visor, which I don't use very often because I'm very tall. So if I put my sun visor down, it's like driving blind. But every once in a while, I just clip it down, look at it, put it back up. Yeah. And then this morning, I got out of my car, and one of my brothers was walking up to me. And he goes, hey, good morning, Pastor. How you doing? I was like, oh, good. And we did our bro hug thing. And he just said, thanks for all you do for us. I said, it was you. You left that love note. thought it was my wife. It wasn't my wife. He said, how'd you know? I said, because you said the exact same thing on the note. <laughs> it's interesting when you think about Paul. And he's, he's trying to get us in this passage. He's trying to lower the Corinthians down. He's trying to say, look, everything you have is a gift. But you're boasting as if it wasn't a gift. You're boasting as if you were good enough, you were smart enough. And then Paul does this, like, roller coaster. Oh, yeah, you guys are the kings, and we're just the lowly. You guys are smart, and we're just the dumb ones. Now, Paul is one of the most prominent thinkers in the history of the world. In case you haven't figured this out, uh, so much of human history through the Spirit working through Paul has shaped much of what we do and think and believe. This one man that God used changed the tide of history. Jesus was in one little area. Paul was the messenger that took Jesus to more of the known world. And it's remarkable how Paul does this sarcasm. And I, I can't tell, like you read it in the, the original languages, you read it in different translations, and it just, it almost sounds like Paul's being mean. It almost sounds like it's, like I wonder, like are, you, are we allowed to be sarcastic or joke around as Christians? But then I remember in the book of Job, when Job was complaining to God. Job was like, God, why'd you do this? What's going on? And if you don't know this, God was sarcastic in the book of Job. God says to Job, oh, that's right. You were there when I hung the stars in the sky. I mean, that's a way to really shut a conversation down. Like, I've got moves with my, with my family. I've got moves with my kids that can just end a conversation. I've got moves that are better than because I said so. I can now, I've mastered the technique of looking at my children into silence. I didn't know that this was a thing. You veteran parents should have told me this. If you would have told me this, I would have Googled it and found out how to do it sooner. But I now know how to look at my children, and I can close their mouths with the power of my mind. God does it with the power of sarcasm. Now, that's just a sidebar. So if you're sarcastic and you think, like, I really got to curb that sarcasm, just make sure it's sanctified sarcasm that points people back to acknowledging that God is God and we are not. That's what Paul's doing. That's what God did in Job in, chapter, in the chapter 440s, chapters 40, 41, around there, whatever it was. Use sarcasm that points people back to God. But always make sure that God is the main character. In this little tirade, Paul wants them to know, all that you have, it's not about you. It's about God. So when you're church shopping, look for a church that talks about God more than it talks about anything else. And you're like, Ryan, wouldn't that be all churches? You would be surprised. Because if you go to a Christian bookstore, which if you can find one, please let me know. They're like extinct animals nowadays, like unicorns prancing in a field of fairy dust because books are just going by the wayside apparently. But if you find one, or if you go to the Christian section of a bookstore that's still existing, or after Amazon wipes out all the bookstores and starts their own, like an evil empire that they're doing, go into the Christian spirituality section and look at the books. You're going to find some amazing ones. I recommend one called the Holy Bible. Get that one. But then you're going to see some other books. 
And they're not necessarily bad, and they might help you grow. But look inside the book and see how God-centered, Bible-saturated it is. Because the number of books I've read with numbers in the title is sickening. Seven Steps to a Happy, Healthy Marriage. Every book on marriage I've tried to read at some point or another. I want to know, what is the secret, God? How do I understand what's going on in her mind? So I look to books like that's ever helped any male ever. Or with kids, how to parent God's way. And I could find books that will tell me totally opposite things, and they're both coming from the Christian perspective. How do you parent God's way? You just love them with kindness. You put them in the corner and tell them to think about it. I'm like, what verse is that? I didn't see that verse. I saw the verse that said, spare something, something, spoil something, something. Where's that think about it verse? I found it, by the way. It's in there. I'm not going to tell you where it is. You go find it. Bible hunt. Look for a church that keeps God as the main character. Because if, if the church is constantly talking about just you and what you need to do and how you need to behave and where you need to go, then that's a you-centered church, not a God-centered church. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is for you, and it's about God. Every sermon should talk about God and lead you to the cross of Jesus. Every sermon has to be a God-centered, Bible-soaked sermon. And if you're going to look at a book, just look for the ones that are pointing you toward God. One of my books that I read early on in my ministry, and it's the most popular nonfiction book, I believe still of all time in the United States, is uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. And it's interesting because he wrote this book to Americans primarily, and the very first line is, it's not about you. And if you go to a church where it's about you all the time, you, 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 run. Run from that church. Okay? Are you ready? Uh, one more thing. One more book. There's just this other book, Your Best Life Now. Gosh, I bash on that book so much because the title just sets itself up. It was one of the best-selling Christian books about 15 years ago. And don't, don't judge the person who wrote it. Just remind anybody who loves it, if this is your best life now, then you're going to hell in the next life. That's easy, right? Okay, that's all. Moving on. I just had to get that. It was in my notes, and I was like, don't be mean. And then my, my bad side said, be mean. Okay. God will judge my motive. For I think, he says, that God has made us a spectacle. Paul, Paul says, we're just here. We're on the stage. The angels are watching. Y'all are watching. And right now it's happening. People are looking at pastors with this skeptical side eye. I don't know if I, I don't know if we trust them. It really went downhill after Nixon. That's when, like, trust in leadership started declining. And there's really not been any leaders who have merited a huge increase in trust and adoration. Because here's a newsflash. We're all sinful. We're all broken. But as the world has become more connected and more digitalized, we get to have a record of everything people have done. Like I try to tell my kids and other younger teenagers, hey, here's, here's the Internet. Look, look, Sonny, I grew up before the Internet. I talk to these kids these days. I grew up before the Internet. Like when I was a kid, we played with sticks and stones, and we broke bones. Here's the terrifying thing about the Internet that I try to teach kids, and this is why it's harder to trust leadership, because everything that goes online is instant, permanent, and global. Everything. You may take it down, but somebody somewhere could potentially or does have it. There are sites that just log Twitter and just keep all the tweets. There are video sites that have backups of backups of backups. And on the top of that pile, Mark Zuckerberg is there with his tinfoil hat waiting for your day. 
Yes, you do. So remember, remember, that's just a free sermon. Whatever you post online is instant, permanent, and global. That's why we don't trust leaders now, because now junk is being shown more and more. And when I talk about that TV illustration, I didn't know back when I was a youth pastor in the early 2000s, I was saying TV, 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 all the things that you've done are going to be shown. But now, strangely enough, this generation that's coming up, and some of us in this generation now, we're putting up all the things for free. And I love it. I've been asked many times as a pastor, when I go up to somebody, I say, hey, I'm feel like you're going through through something that's related to this and I just want to take a moment to pray for you and they'll look at me like how did you know I'm going through that did the Lord speak to you yes through your social media accounts let's pray it's going to be on a phone it's going to be on something look for a church though that will call you out on your junk And look for leaders who are growing like Jesus. Paul calls them out on their junk. He says, look, you guys, you think you're high on the horse. Everything you have is a gift. If you don't go to a church, and I don't mean here on a Sunday, just I, I just mean if you don't interact with these people and you keep sinning, let's say there's a sin in your life that's open and you're just sinning along, having a great old time. If you're doing that at a church gathering, in a church body, and no one's calling you out on it, run. Run. You got that, you know you have that friend who will always tell you when something's on your face, and you love them, because then you've got all your other friends, the fakers, and they don't tell you when it's on your face. You know, sometimes it's like, it's an exhausting job. I'm friends with Jared. He's got the beard of Shalom and Moses growing upon his face. I'm begging, begging Bree to grow your hair out so he can trim the beard to a manageable, more, never mind. But we go on staff meeting, God, we'll eat these pastries. And they're like, what are they, vanilla, pecan, whatever it is, they take dough and they just slap glue on it and then he eats it. And there have been times at staff meeting where I think we're all just staring at him. Like, I don't know if I'm telling him or if he's saving that for later. I should probably let him know there's something. And if you let someone know with a beard that goes down to the middle of their chest, if you're like, hey, there's something in your beard, they're like, which quadrant? B7 hit, you know, and he gets it out. We, we like that friend. But for some reason, for some reason, we don't like that friend when it's spiritual. We don't like that friend when they're like, hey, man, you've got something on your soul. They're like, no, I do not. And I'm the same. If you want to come up to me and say, man, I see this sin in you, my default move is I'm going to use words faster than you can use words because that's what God gave, God gave me, and I'm going to stack up a wall of defense. Yes. You cannot come through my defense. And then it will take me some time where God will say, take down the wall, you dummy. Show them that you're actually worse than you think, than they think you are. And that's been my marriage advice. That's been my interpersonal relationship advice. If someone comes to you and says, I see this sin in you, say, man, I thank you for pointing that out. And it's weird that you point that out because I'm even worse than that. And I'm so sorry. I'm so grateful that Jesus died for me. It's the best marriage advice I've ever given, I think. Because when your spouse slings something at you that you've done and you just say, I'm even worse. You literally take all the bullets out of their gun. They're firing at you. Bang, bang, bang. And you're like, bullets are removed. I'm worse than you think, baby. Yeah. 
then you can just get to the good part of repenting and praying together. Look for a church that's not afraid to call you out in your junk. Look for leaders who are growing like Jesus. And when I, when I say growing like Jesus, I don't mean acting like they're the savior of the world. Saying, I will save you. Listen to me. Follow me. I'm the only way. Come drink the Kool-Aid. Sip death. No, not those leaders. Leaders who are growing in humility in kindness. Leaders who you see encouraging prayer, encouraging community, encouraging love. Leaders who you see encouraging and fostering communities that are Jesus-centered, Bible-loving, praying, addicted people. And then here's what Paul says, and this is going to bring us into the cross. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Everyone say, no shame. How much shame? None. None. Paul's not trying to heap shame on but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus, meaning I led, led you to Christ. If you want to see what that looks like, say next service, a, a young gal's getting baptized. She came to know Jesus. And the person, my, my thing as a pastor is if you led someone to Jesus, if you pointed them to Jesus, I want you to baptize them. Don't make me put my collar on. You do it. So they're going to baptize them next service. I'm very excited. Paul says, I became your father of Jesus through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy. Timothy's Paul's carbon copy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Some are arrogant as though they were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? In the very next chapter, Paul brings the gentle rod of discipline. But if you're church shopping, you need to look for churches from this passage. Churches that don't pile shame on you, but admonish you as beloved children. It's struck me as odd for so long now how the primary tactic of so many religious groups, Christianity often included, is to use either pride, shame, guilt, and fear, like these, this combination of devilry. We use these mechanisms to make people change, to have people give more, to have people look better, to have the appearance of Christianity. It's so easy to use shame. If you grew up or if you have experience in other religions or maybe in a church that does this, a lot of my family on my, my dad's side, very Catholic family. The Filipinos are very Catholic. And man, it's easy to use shame. And during times where we have been had like lean financial times at the chapel, people would just be like, Ryan, just tell them. If they don't give, like that's to their, like they're not doing what God wants them to. You just heap that on and make them feel guilty till they give. That is the exact opposite of what the Bible says about giving. The Bible doesn't say guilt into giving. It says give without being under compulsion to give freely because Christ gave to you. We worship and give because we love to and want to see the work of God go forward, not because someone's pouring shame on us. Shame is something that can control you for a period, but eventually everyone breaks under the pressure. Shame and condemnation and, and judgment from others is something that will keep you in the corral to look the part for a period of time. But we, you don't realize that it's actually one of those machines that just squeezes and crushes you like the cars in the junkyard. So look for a church that doesn't pile shame on you, but admonishes you as children. As children of God our Father, as 
adopted sons and daughters, brothers and sisters of Christ the King. And then lastly, look for churches that don't just talk, but also walk. I don't care what a church says. If a church says, we love Jesus, we're all about God, we're all about doing his things, and they don't give a rip about poor people, orphans, and widows, which is literally what James said. This is pure, good, lasting religion. Care for the poor, orphans, and widows. Just do it. Be a church that prays for each other. Be a church that breaks bread together. The simple things in the Bible. Look for churches that don't just talk about them, but actually do them. Look for churches that don't talk about forgiveness, but actually show forgiveness when somebody's life implodes. Look for churches that don't just talk about God's love, but actually exemplify it through the way that they talk to others. Look for churches that don't just love those who are like themselves, but look for churches who love those who are against them. These are what I would say are good things to look for when you're church shopping. So when you leave today, when you go visit another church next week, just remember that the chapel is the okayest church around. Look for leaders who fear God. Look for leaders who point you to the God of the Bible, not more, not less. Look for a church that keeps God as the main character, not you. Look for a church not afraid to call you out on your junk. Look for leaders who are growing to be like Jesus. Look for churches who don't pile on shame but lift you up like children. Look for churches that don't just talk but also walk. Let's all go church shopping. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are good, Lord. And and I'm so excited. I'm so excited to, s- to see Brooke get baptized next service. Lord, I'm excited that you are raising up in this community a family of people committed to your ways, committed to being loved by you and loving others like you loved us. Lord, the reason we have no shame is because we get to hang it on the cross. Lord, the reason we get to stand as adopted, beloved children is because you adopted us. You signed the papers with your blood and we're yours forever. And, Lord, we've got so many churches in these areas in the pseudo-south to choose from. I pray that we wouldn't look at churches like a canned item on a shelf to pick, but rather look at churches as a family that we belong to, a family that we stick with through thick and thin, through, through the good, bad, and the ugly. And help us always, Lord, to be a church family that looks to you, And thanks you for all that you've given us in Christ, in salvation, in community, in fellowship, in the power of the Spirit. Bless us today, Lord. Send us out now as your family into the world. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.